The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Chapter One, You Are Not Your Mind. The Greatest Obstacle to Your Enlightenment. The Buddha's simple definition of enlightenment is the end of suffering. By definition, this is incomplete. It only tells you what enlightenment is not. No suffering. But what's left when there is no more suffering? The Buddha is silent on that, and his silence implies that you'll have to find out for yourself. He uses a negative definition so that the mind cannot make it into something to believe in or into a superhuman accomplishment, a goal that is impossible for you to attain. Despite this precaution, the majority of Buddhists still believe that enlightenment is for the Buddha, not for them, at least in this lifetime. When you say being, are you talking about God? If you are, then why don't you say it? The word God has become empty of meaning through thousands of years of misuse. This misuse gives rise to absurd beliefs, assertions and egoistic delusions such as my God or our God is the only true God and your God is false. The word God has become a closed concept. The moment the word is uttered, a mental image is created, no longer perhaps of an old man with a white beard, but still a mental representation of someone or something outside you. And yes, almost inevitably, a male person or something. The word being explains nothing, but nor does God. Being, however, has the advantage that it is an open concept. It does not reduce the infinite invisible to a finite entity. It is impossible to form a mental image of it. Nobody can claim exclusive possession of being. It is your very essence and it is immediately accessible to you as a feeling of your own presence. The realization, I am, that is prior to the I am this or I am that. What is the greatest obstacle to experiencing this reality? Identification with your mind, which causes thought to become compulsive. Not to be able to stop thinking is a dreadful affliction. But we don't realize this because almost everybody is suffering from it. So it is considered normal. The compulsive thinker, which means almost everyone, lives in a state of apparent separateness, in an insanely complex world of continuous problems and conflict, a world that reflects the ever-increasing fragmentation of the mind. Enlightenment is a state of wholeness, of being at one and therefore at peace, at one with life in its manifested aspect, the world, as well as your deepest self, and the life unmanifested, at one with being. Enlightenment is not only the end of suffering and of continuous conflict within and without, but also the end of the dreadful enslavement to incessant thinking. What an incredible liberation this is. 
The beginning of freedom is the realization that you're not the possessing entity, the thinker. Knowing this enables you to observe the entity. The moment you start watching the thinker, a higher level of consciousness becomes activated. You then begin to realize that there is a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought. That thought is only a tiny aspect of that intelligence. You also realize that all things that are true, that truly matter, such as beauty, love, creativity, joy, inner peace, arise from beyond the mind. You begin to awake. A note to retiring rebels. The beginning of freedom is the realization that you are not the compulsive thinker who lives in an insanely complex world of continuous problems and conflict. You are an enlightened being living in a state of wholeness, of being at one and therefore at peace. Chapter 2. Consciousness. The way out of pain. Create no more pain in the present. The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs your life. The pain that you create now is always some form of non-acceptance, some form of unconscious resistance to what is. On the level of thought, the resistance is some form of judgment. On the emotional level, it is some form of negativity. The mind always seeks to deny the now and escape from it. The more you are able to honor and accept the now, the more you are free of pain, of suffering, and free of the egoic mind. Why does the mind habitually deny or resist the now? Because it cannot function and remain in control without time, which is past and future. So it perceives the timeless now as threatening. Time and mind are in fact inseparable. If you no longer want to create pain for yourself and others, if you don't want to add to the residue of past pain that still lives in you, then don't create any more time, or at least no more than is necessary to deal with the practical aspects of your life. How do you stop creating time? Realize that the present moment is all you ever have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. Always say yes to the present moment. The present moment is sometimes unacceptable, unpleasant or awful. It is as it is. Accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. Past pain, dissolving the pain body.
As long as you are unable to access the power of now, every emotional pain that you experience leaves behind the residue of pain that lives on in you. This accumulated pain is a negative energy field that occupies your body and mind. A pain body may be dormant 90% of the time. In a deeply unhappy person though, it may be active up to 100% of the time. Some pain bodies drive their hosts to suicide. When you thought you knew a person and then you're suddenly confronted with this alien, nasty creature for the first time, you're in for quite a shock. However, it's more important to observe it in yourself than in someone else. Watch out for any sign of unhappiness in yourself, in whatever form. It may be the awakening pain body. This can take the form of irritation, impatience, a somber mood, a desire to hurt, anger, rage, depression, a need to have some drama in your relationship, and so on. Catch it the moment it awakens from its dormant state. The pain body wants to survive, just like every other entity in existence. And it can only survive if it gets you to unconsciously identify with it. It can then rise up, take you over, become you and live through you. It needs to get its food through you. Pain can only feed on pain. Pain cannot feed on joy. It finds it quite indigestible. If you were truly conscious of the pain, the pattern would dissolve. For to want more pain is insanity, and nobody is consciously insane. The pain body, which is the dark shadow cast by the ego, is actually afraid of the light of your consciousness. It is afraid of being found out. Some spiritual teachings state that all pain is ultimately an illusion. And this is very true. The question is, is it true for you? The pain body doesn't want you to observe it directly and see it for what it is. The moment you observe it, feel its energy field with you and take your attention into it, the identification is broken. A higher dimension of consciousness has come in. I call it presence you have found your innermost strength. A note for retiring rebels. The mind always seeks to deny the present and escape from it. The more you are able to honor and accept the now, the more you are free of pain, of suffering, and free of the egoic mind. Always say yes to the present moment. Chapter 3, Moving Deeply Into the Now Don't seek yourself in the mind. The problems of the mind cannot be solved on the level of the mind. The ego's needs are endless. It feels vulnerable and threatened and so lives in a state of fear and want. There can be a great deal of unconscious ego investment in pain and suffering. 
the end of the, the end the delusion of time. How? Remove time from your mind and it stops unless you choose to use it. To be identified with your mind is to be trapped in time. The compulsion to live almost exclusively through memory and anticipation. The compulsion arises because the past gives you an identity and the future holds the promise of salvation, of fulfillment in whatever form. Both are illusions. But without a sense of time, how would we function in this world? Time isn't precious at all because it is an illusion. What you perceive as precious is not time, but the one point that is out of time, the now. That is precious indeed. The more you are focused on time, that's past and future, the more you miss the now, the most precious thing there is. Why is it the most precious thing? Firstly, because it is the only thing, it's all there is. The eternal present is the space within which your whole life was not now, nor will there be ever be. Secondly, the now is the only point that can take you beyond the limited confines of the mind. It is only point of access into the timeless and formless realm of being. Nothing exists outside the now. Nothing ever happened in the past. It happened in the now. Nothing will ever happen in the future. It will happen in the now. What you think of as the past is a memory trace stored in the mind of a former now. When you remember the past, you reactivate a memory trace and you do so now. The future is an imagined now, a projection of the mind. When the future comes, it comes as the now. When you think about the future, you do it now. Past and future obviously have no reality of their own, just as the moon has no light of its own, but can only reflect the light of the sun. So are past and future only pale reflections of the light, power and reality of the eternal present. Their reality is borrowed from the now. The key to spiritual dimension. In life-threatening emergency situations, the shift in consciousness from time to presence sometimes happens naturally. The personality that has a past and a future momentarily recedes and is replaced by an intense conscious presence. Very still, but very alert at the same time. Whatever response is needed then arises out of their state of consciousness. The reason why some people love to engage in dangerous activities, such as mountain climbing, car racing, and so on, although they may not be aware of it, is that it forces them into the now, that intensely alive state that is free of time, free of problems, and free of thinking, free of the burden of the personality. Slipping away from the present moment, even for a second, may mean death. But you don't need to climb the north face of the Eiger. You can enter that state now. 
Since ancient times, spiritual masters of all traditions have pointed to the now as the key to spiritual dimension. Despite this, it seems to have remained a secret. It is certainly not taught in churches and temples. The whole essence of Zen consists in walking along the razor's edge of now, to be so utterly, so completely present that no problem, no suffering, nothing that is not who you are in your essence can survive in you. In the now, in the absence of time, all your problems dissolve. The great Zen master Rinzai, in order to take his students' attention away from time, would often raise his finger and slowly ask, What at this moment is lacking? A powerful question that does not require an answer on the level of the mind. It is designed to take your attention deeply into the now. The now is central to the teaching of Sufism, a mystical branch of Islam. Sufis have a saying, the Sufi is the son of time present. And Rumi, the great poet and teacher of Sufism, declares, past and future veil God from our sight, burn up both of them with fire. Meister Eckhart, the 13th century spiritual teacher, summed it all up beautifully. Time is what keeps the light from reaching us. There is no greater obstacle, obstacle to God than time. A note to retiring rebels. Past and future obviously have no reality of their own. Just as the moon has no light of its own but can only reflect the light of the sun, so are past and future only pale reflections of the light power and reality of the eternal present. Their reality is borrowed from the now. Use it or lose it. Chapter 4. Mind Strategies for Avoiding the Now. Loss of Now. The Core Delusion. When every cell of your body is so present that it feels vibrant with life, and when you can feel that life every moment as the joy of being, then it can be said that you are free of time. Tomorrow's bills are not the problem. The dissolution of the physical body is not a problem. Loss of now is the problem. Loss of now is loss of being. To be free of time is to be free of the psychological need of the past for your identity and the future for your fulfillment. It represents the most profound transformation of consciousness that you can imagine. To know that you're not present is a great success. That knowing is presence. Then, with increasing frequency, you choose to have the focus of your consciousness in the present moment rather than in the past or future. And whenever you realize that you had lost the now, you are able to stay in it not just for a couple of seconds, but for longer periods as perceived from the external perspective of clock time. What are they seeking? Carl Jung tells in one of his books of a conversation he had with a Native American chief who pointed out to him 
that in his perception, most white people have tense faces, staring eyes, and a cruel demeanor. He said, they are always seeking something. What are they seeking? The whites always want something. They're always uneasy and restless. We don't know what they want. We think they are mad. The past cannot survive in your presence. If you delve into the past, it will become a bottomless pit. There is always more. You may think that you need more time to understand the past or become free of it. In other words, that the future will eventually free you of the past. This is a delusion. Only the present can free you of the past. The power of now. What is it? The more attention you give the past, the more you energize it and the more likely you are to make a self out of it. Give attention to the present. Give attention to your behavior, to your reactions, moods, thoughts, emotions, fears and desires as they occur in the present. You cannot find yourself by going into the past. You find yourself by coming into the present. What is essential is your conscious presence. That dissolves the past. That is the transformative agent. A note to retiring rebels. When every cell of your body is so present that it feels vibrant with life, and when you can feel that life every moment as the joy of being, then it can be said that you are free of time. Give your attention to each moment whenever possible. Chapter 5. The State of Presence. It's not what you think it is. You can't think about presence and the mind can't understand it. Understanding presence is being present. As long as you're in a state of intense presence, you are free of thought. You're still yet highly alert. The instant your conscious attention sinks below a certain level, thoughts rush in. The mental noise returns. The stillness is lost. You are back in time. To test the degree of presence, some Zen masters have been known to creep up on their students from behind and suddenly hit them with a stick. Quite a shock. If the student had been fully present and in a state of alertness, he would have noticed the master coming up from behind and stopping him or stepping aside. But if he were hit, that would mean he was immersed in thought, which is to say, absent, unconscious. It helps to be rooted within yourself. What does that mean? It means to inhabit your body fully, to always have some of your attention in the inner energy field of your body, to feel the body within, so to speak. Body awareness keeps you present. It anchors you in the now. Beauty arises in the stillness of your presence. Zen masters use the word satori 
to describe a flash of insight, a moment of no mind and total presence. Although Satori is not a lasting transformation, be grateful when it comes, for it gives you a taste of enlightenment. Have you listened, truly listened, to the sound of a mountain stream in the forest? Or to the song of a blackbird at dusk on a quiet summer evening? To become aware of such things, the mind needs to be still. Realizing pure consciousness, is presence the same thing as being? When you become conscious of being, what is really happening is that being becomes conscious of itself. When being becomes conscious of itself, that's presence. In the Bible, God declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and I am the Living One. Everything that exists has being, has God essence, has some degree of consciousness. Even a stone has rudimentary consciousness, otherwise it would not be, and its atoms and molecules would disperse. Everything is alive. The sun, earth, planets, animals, humans, all are expressions of consciousness in varying degrees. Consciousness manifesting as form. In present day humans, consciousness is completely identified with its disguise. It only knows itself as form and therefore lives in fear of the annihilation of its physical or psychological form. Whenever you watch the mind, you withdraw consciousness from mind forms, and then it becomes what we call the watcher or the witness. Silence is an even more potent carrier of presence. So when you read this or listen to me speak, be aware of the silence between and underneath the words. Only the stillness in you can perceive the silence outside. A note to retiring rebels. You can't think about presence and the mind can't understand it. Understanding presence is being present. It means to inhabit your body fully. Body awareness keeps you present. It anchors you in the now. Chapter six, the inner body. Being is your deepest self. Being can be felt as the ever-present I am, that is beyond name and form. To feel and thus to know that you are and to abide in that deeply rooted state is enlightenment. This is the truth that Jesus says will make you free. Free from what? Free from the illusion that you're nothing more than your physical body and your mind. This illusion of the self, as the Buddha calls it, is the core error. Free from fear in its countless disguises as the inevitable consequences of that illusion, the fear that is your constant tormentor as long as you derive a sense of self from this ephemeral and vulnerable form. Finding your invisible and indestructible reality. 
The body that you can see and touch cannot take you into being. But that visible and tangible body is only an outer shell, or rather a limited and distorted perception of a deeper reality. So, to inhabit the body is to feel the body from within, to feel the life inside the body, and thereby come to know that you are beyond the outer form. Underneath your outer form, you are connected with something so vast, so immeasurable and sacred, that it cannot be conceived or spoken of. Yet, I am speaking of it now. You are cut off from your being as long as your mind takes up all your attention. When this happens, and it happens continuously for most people, you are not in your body. Compulsive thinking has become a collective disease. To become conscious of being, you need to reclaim consciousness from the mind. This is one of the most essential tasks on your spiritual journey. It will free vast amounts of consciousness that previously had been trapped in useless and compulsive thinking. Transformation through the body. On the level of the body, humans are very close to animals. All the basic bodily functions, pleasure, pain, breathing, eating, drinking, defecating, sleeping, the drive to find a mate and procreate, and of course, birth and death, we share with animals. A long time after their fall from grace and oneness into illusions, humans suddenly woke up in what seemed to be an animal body, and they found this very disturbing. Adam and Eve saw that they were naked and they they became afraid. The threat that they might be taken over by a powerful instinctual drives and revert back to complete unconsciousness was indeed a real one. Shame and taboos appeared around certain parts of the body and bodily functions, especially sexuality. So they did what they had to do. They began to disassociate from their body. They now saw themselves as having a body rather than just being it. Countless people in East and West throughout the ages have tried to find God, salvation and enlightenment through denial of the body. In Christianity, this used to be called mortification of the flesh. Even the Buddha is said to have practiced body denial through fasting and extreme forms of asceticism for six years, but he did not attain enlightenment until after he had given up this practice. You will always have to return to the body where the essential work of transformation takes place. Transformation is through the body, not away from it. Have deep roots within. The key is to be in a state of permanent connectedness with your inner body, to feel it at all times. The more consciousness you direct into the inner body, the higher its vibrational frequency becomes, much like light that grows brighter as you turn up the dimmer switch and so increase the flow of electricity. Please examine where your attention is at this moment. You are listening to me, or you are reading these words in a book. That is the focus of your attention. 
you're also peripherally aware of your surroundings, other people and so on. Don't let it all flow out. Feel your body from within and almost as if you were listening to or reading with your whole body. Whenever you are waiting, use the time to feel the inner body. In this way, traffic jams and lines become very enjoyable. Instead of mentally projecting yourself away from the now, go more deeply into the now by going more deeply into the body. As long as you are in conscious contact with your inner body, you are like a tree that is deeply rooted in the earth or a building with a deep and solid foundation. Slowing down the aging process. Awareness of the body has other benefits in the physical realm. One of them is a significant slowing down of aging of the physical body. Whereas the outer body normally appears to grow old and wither fairly quickly, the inner body does not change with time, except that you may feel it more deeply and become it more fully. If you are 20 years old now, the energy field of your inner body will feel just the same when you're 80. It will be just as vibrantly alive. As soon as your habitual state changes from being out of the body and trapped in your mind to being in the body and present in the now, your physical body will feel lighter, clearer, more alive. As there is more consciousness in the body, its molecular structure actually becomes less dense. More consciousness means a lessening of the illusion of materiality. Strengthening the immune system. The more conscious you bring, consciousness you bring into the body, the stronger the immune system becomes. It is as if every cell awakens and rejoices. Most illnesses creep in when you're not present in the body. If the master is not present in the house, all kinds of shady characters will take up residence there. When you inhabit your body, it will be hard for unwanted guests to enter. <clears throat> there is a simple but powerful self-healing meditation that you can do whenever you feel the need to boost your immune system. The last thing at night before falling asleep and the first thing in the morning before getting up, flood your body with consciousness. Close your eyes, lie flat on your back, Choose different parts of your body to focus your attention on briefly at first. Hands, feet, arms, legs, abdomen, chest, head, and so on. Feel the life energy inside those parts as intensely as you can. Stay with each part for 15 seconds or so. Then let your attention run through the body like a wave a few times from feet to head and back again. This need only take a minute. After that, feel the inner body in its totality as a single field of energy. Hold that feeling for a few minutes. Be intensely present during that time, present in every cell of your body. As soon as you notice this has happened, just return your attention to the inner body. 
the art of listening. When listening to another person, don't just listen with your mind. Listen with your whole body. Feel the energy field of your inner body as you listen. That takes attention away from thinking and creates a still space that enables you to truly listen without the mind interfering. You are giving the other person space, space to be. Most people don't know how to listen because the major part of their attention is taken up by thinking. Being in touch with your inner body creates a clear space of no mind within which the relationship can flower. A note to retiring rebels. As there is more consciousness in the body, its molecular structure actually becomes less dense. More consciousness means a lessening of the illusion of materiality. The more consciousness you bring into the body, the stronger the immune system becomes. It is as if every cell awakens and rejoices. Chapter 7. Portals into the Unmanifested. Going deeply into the body. Make it into a meditation. It needn't take long. 10 to 15 minutes of clock time should be sufficient. Make sure the body is relaxed. Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Feel yourself breathing into the lower abdomen, as it were. Observe how it expands and contracts slightly with each in and out breath. Then become aware of the entire energy field of the body. When you can feel the inner body clearly as a single field of energy, let go, if possible, of any visual image and focus exclusively on the feeling. Become one with it. Merge with the energy field so that there is no longer a perceived duality of the observer and the observed, of you and your body. Stay in this realm of pure being for as long as it feels comfortable. Then become aware again of the physical body, your breathing and physical senses, and open your eyes. Look at your surroundings for a few minutes in a meditative way, that is, without labeling them mentally and continue to feel the inner body as you do so. Having access to that formless realm is truly liberating. It frees you from bondage to form and identification with form. It is life in its undifferentiated state prior to its fragmentation into multiplicity. We may call it the unmanifested, the invisible source of all things, the being within all beings, you also realize that the light is not separate from who you are, but constitutes your very essence. Silence. A new portal opens up every moment. Look for it in the silence out of which the sounds come in and into which they return. Pay more attention to the silence than to the sounds. Every sound is born out of silence, dies back into silence, 
and during its lifespan is surrounded by silence. It is silence that enables the sound to be. It is an intrinsic but unmanifested part of every sound, every musical note, every song, every word. This is why it has been said that nothing in this world is so like God as silence. You cannot pay attention to silence without simultaneously becoming still within. Silence without, stillness within. You have entered the unmanifested. Space. Just as no sound can exist without silence, nothing can exist without no thing, without the empty space that it enables it to be. Every physical object or body has come out of nothing, is surrounded by nothing, and will eventually return to nothing. Not only that, but even inside every physical body, there is far more nothing than something. Physicists tell us that solidity of matter is an illusion. What is more, even inside every atom, there is mostly empty space. What is left is more like a vibrational frequency than particles of solid matter, more like a musical note. Buddhists have known this for over 2,500 years. Quote, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Unquote. Space has no existence. To exist literally means to stand out. You cannot understand space because it does not stand out. Although in itself it has no existence, it enables everything else to exist. Space and silence are two aspects of the same thing, the same nothing. They are an externalization of inner space and inner silence, which is stillness the infinitely creative womb of all existence. The true nature of space and time. Only when sound appears does silence come into being. Imagine yourself as a point of consciousness flowing in the vastness of space. No stars, no galaxies, just emptiness. Suddenly space wouldn't be vast anymore. It would not be there at all. Nothing could be without space. Yet space is nothing. Where did it come from? Was it created by God to accommodate the universe? Of course not. Space is nothing, so it was, it was never created. Over a 100 billion galaxies can already be detected with the most powerful telescopes. Each galaxy with an island universe with billions of stars. Nothing could be more or inspiring and majestic than the inconceivable vastness and stillness of space. And yet, what is it? Emptiness, vast emptiness. It is the body of God and the greatest miracle is this, that stillness and vastness that enables the universe to be is not just out there in space, it is also within you. What we perceive externally as space and time are ultimately, ultimately illusory, but they contain a core of truth. 
They are the two essential attributes of God, infinity and eternity, perceived as if they had an external existence outside you. The Buddhist saying, quote, if there were no illusion, there would be no enlightenment, unquote. You are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. That is how important you are. Conscious death. There is one other involuntary portal. It opens up briefly at the time of physical death. Even if you have missed all the other opportunities for spiritual realization during your lifetime, one last portal will open up for you immediately after the body has died. Most people carry too much residual resistance, too much fear, too much attachment to sensory experience, too much identification with the manifested world. So they see the portal, turn away in fear, and then lose consciousness. Every portal is a portal of death, the death of the false self. When you go through it, you cease to derive your identity from your psychological mind-made form. You then realize that death is an illusion, just as your identification with form was an illusion. The end of illusion, that's all that death is, it is painful only as long as you cling to illusion. A note to retiring rebels. You cannot pay attention to silence without simultaneously becoming still within. Silence without, stillness within. You have entered the unmanifested. This is why it has been said that nothing in this world is so like God as silence. Chapter 8. Enlightened Relationships Enter the now from wherever you are. You are waiting for an event in time to save you. Is this not the core error that we have been talking about? Salvation is not elsewhere in place or in time. It is here and now. Happiness may be perceived as a heightened sense of aliveness attained through the physical pleasure or a more secure and more complete sense of self-attained through form of psychological gratification. Invariably, any satisfaction that they obtain is short-lived. So the condition of satisfaction or fulfillment is usually projected once again onto an imaginary point away from the here and now. Quote, when I obtain this, or I am free of that, then I will be okay, unquote. This is the unconscious mindset that creates the illusion of salvation in the future. True salvation is fulfillment, peace, life in all its fullness. True salvation is a state of freedom from fear, from suffering, from a perceived state of lack and insufficiency, and therefore from all wanting, needing, grasping and clinging. It is freedom from compulsive thinking, from negativity, and above all, from the past and future as a psychological need. 
you see time as a means to salvation, whereas in truth, it is the greatest obstacle to salvation. You get there by realizing that you are already there. There is only one point of access, the now. There can be no salvation away from this moment. Love-hate relationships. It seems that most love relationships become love-hate relationships before long. It is not uncommon for couples to become addicted to those cycles. It may appear that if you could only eliminate the negative or destructive cycles, then all would be well and the relationship would flower beautifully. But alas, this is not possible. You cannot have one without the other. I am speaking here of what are commonly called romantic relationships, not of true love, which has no opposite because it arises from beyond the mind. And it is also easier to recognize the source of negativity in your partner than to see it in yourself. It can manifest in many forms, possessiveness, jealousy, control, withdrawal, and unspoken resentment, the need to be right, insensitivity, and self-absorption, emotional demands, and manipulation, the urge to argue, criticize, judge, blame, or attack, anger, unconscious revenge for past pain inflicted by a parent, and rage and physical violence. On the positive side, you are in love with your partner. This is a deeply satisfying state. You feel intensely alive, your existence has suddenly become meaningful because someone needs you, wants you, and makes you feel special, and you do the same for him or her. When you are together, you feel whole. The feeling has become so intense that the rest of the world fades into insignificance. However, you may also have noticed that there is a neediness, a clinging quality to that intensity you become addicted to the other person. He or she acts on you like a drug. You are on a high when the drug is available. If the other person does leave you, this can give rise to the most intense hostility or the most profound grief and despair. Where is the love now? Was it love in the first place or just an addictive grasping and clinging? Addiction and the search for wholeness. On the physical level, you're obviously not whole, nor will you ever be. It is an almost irresistible urge for union with the opposite energy polarity. The root of this physical urge is a spiritual one. The longing for an end to duality, a return to the state of wholeness. Sexual union is the closest you can get to the state on the physical level. This is why it is the most deeply satisfying experience the physical realm can offer. You are given a tantalizing glimpse of heaven, but you're not allowed to dwell there and find yourself again in a separate body. On the psychological level, the sense of lack and incompleteness is, if anything, even greater than on the physical level. As long as you are identified with your mind, you have an externally derived sense of self. That is to say, 
You get your sense of who you are from things that ultimately have nothing to do with who you are. Your social role, possessions, external appearance, successes and failures, belief systems, and so on. If in your relationship you experience both love and the opposite of love, attack, emotional violence, and so on, then it is likely that you're confusing ego attachment and addictive clinging with love. You cannot love your partner one moment and attack him or her the next. True love has no opposite. Just as with every other addiction, you are on a high when the drug is available, but invariably there comes a time when the drug no longer works for you. When those painful feelings reappear, you feel them even more strongly than before. And what is more, you now perceive your partner as the cause of those feelings. Every addiction starts with pain and ends with pain. Whatever the substance you're addicted to, alcohol, food, legal or illegal drugs, or a person, you are using something or somebody to cover up your pain. They do not cause the pain and unhappiness. They bring out the pain and unhappiness that is already in you. Avoidance of relationships is an attempt to avoid pain is not the answer either. Three failed relationships in as many years are more likely to force you into awakening than three years in a, on a desert island or shut away in your room. But if you bring intense presence into your aloneness, that would work for you too. Give up the relationship with yourself. Enlightened or not, you are either a man or a woman so on the level of your form identity, you are not complete. You are one half of the whole. This incompleteness is felt as a male-female attraction, the pull towards the opposite energy polarity, no matter how conscious you are. But in that state of inner connectedness, you feel this pull somewhere on the surface or the periphery of your life. Your form continues to have certain needs, but being has none. It is already complete and whole. If those needs are met, that is beautiful. But whether or not they are met makes no difference to your deep inner state. Is it not true that you need to have a good relationship with yourself and love yourself before you can have a fulfilling relationship with another person? If you cannot be at ease with yourself when you are alone, you will seek a relationship to cover up your unease. You can be sure that the unease will then reappear in some other form within the relationship and you will probably hold your partner responsible for it. A note to retiring rebels. True salvation is a state of freedom from fear, from suffering, from a perceived state of lack and insufficiency, and therefore from all wanting, needing, grasping and clinging. It is freedom from compulsive thinking, from negativity, and above all, from past and future as a psychological need. You see time as a means to salvation, whereas in truth it is the greatest obstacle to salvation.
Chapter 9. Beyond happiness and unhappiness, there is peace. Is there a difference between happiness and inner peace? Yes. Happiness depends on conditions being perceived as positive. Inner peace does not. Do you truly know what is positive and what is negative? Do you have the total picture? There have been many people for whom limitation, failure, loss, illness or pain, in whatever form, turned out to be their greatest teacher. Even a brief illness or an accident can show you what is real and unreal in your life, what ultimately matters and what doesn't. Seen from a higher perspective, conditions are always positive. To be more precise, they are neither positive nor negative. They are what they are. And when you live in complete acceptance of what is, which is the only sane way to live, there is no good or bad in your life anymore. There is only a higher good, which includes the bad. In the book of Genesis, it is said that Adam and Eve were no longer allowed to dwell in paradise when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This sounds to me like denial and self-deception. When something dreadful happens to me or someone close to me, accident, illness, pain or some kind of death, I can pretend that it isn't bad, but the fact remains that it is bad, so why deny it? You're not pretending anything, you're allowing it to be as it is, that's all. This allowing to be takes you beyond the mind with its resistance patterns that create positive-negative polarities. It is an essential aspect of forgiveness. Forgiveness of the present is even more important than forgiveness of the past. If you forgive every moment, allow it to be as it is, then there will be no accumulation of resentment that needs to be forgiven at some future date. When a loved one has just died or you feel your own death approaching, you cannot be happy. It is impossible. But you can be at peace. There may be sadness and tears, but provided you have relinquished resistance, underneath the sadness you will feel a deep serenity, stillness, a sacred presence. This is the emanation of being. This is inner peace, the good that has no opposite. What if it is a situation that I can do something about? How can I allow it to be and change it at the same time? Do what you have to do. In the meantime, accept what is. Since mind and resistance are synonymous, acceptance immediately frees you, frees you from your mind dominance and thus reconnects you with being. As a result, the usual ego motivates for doing, fear, greed, control, defending or feeding the false sense of self, will cease to operate. Accept whatever comes to you woven in the pattern of your destiny for what could be more aptly fit your needs. This was written 2,000 years ago by Marcus Aurelius, one of those exceedingly rare humans who possessed worldly power as well as wisdom. Accept whatever comes to you woven in the pattern of your destiny 
for what could be more aptly fit your needs. It seems that most people need to experience a great deal of suffering before they will relinquish resistance and accept, before they will forgive. The ultimate effect of all evil and suffering in the world is that it will force humans into realizing who they are beyond name and form. Thus, what we perceive as evil from our limited perspective is actually part of the higher good that has no opposite. Through forgiveness, which essentially means recognizing the insubstantiality of the past and allowing the present moment to be as it is, the miracle of transformation happens not only within, but also without. A silent space of intense presence arises both in you and around you. Whoever or whatever enters that field of consciousness will be affected by it sometimes visibly and immediately, sometimes at deeper levels with visible changes appearing at a later date. You dissolve discord, heal pain, dispel unconsciousness without doing anything, simply by being and holding that frequency of intense presence. The nature of compassion. Having gone beyond mind state opposite, you become like a deep lake. Deep down, the lake is always undisturbed. Coming from being, you will always perceive another's body and mind as just a screen, as it were, behind which you can feel their true reality as you feel yours. Compassion is the awareness of a deep bond between yourself and all creatures. Nothing that was ever real ever died, only names, forms and illusions towards a different order of reality. The body is an incredible misperception of your true nature, but your true nature is concealed somewhere within that illusion, not outside it, so the body is still the point of access to it. One of the greatest insights that has come out of modern physics is that the unity between the observer and the observed The person conducting the experiment, the observing consciousness, cannot be separated from the observed phenomena. And a different way of looking causes the observed phenomena to behave differently. Who you are is always a more vital teaching and a more powerful transformer of the world than what you say. And more essential even than what you do. Practice passive resistance. A note to retiring rebels. Happiness depends on conditions being perceived as positive. Inner peace does not. Forgiveness of the present is even more important than forgiveness of the past. If you forgive every moment, allow it to be as it is, then there will be no accumulation of resentment that needs to be forgiven at some later date. Chapter 10. The Meaning of Surrender Acceptance of the Now To some people, surrender may have negative connotations, implying defeat or giving up. True surrender is something entirely different. It does not mean to passively put up with whatever situation you find yourself in and to do nothing about it. 
Surrender is the simple but profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life. The only place where you can experience the flow of life is in the now. So to surrender is to accept the present moment unconditionally and without reservation. If you've lived long enough, you will know that things go wrong quite often. It is at precisely those times that surrender needs to be practiced. If you want to eliminate pain and sorrow from your life. Surrender is a purely inner phenomenon. It does not mean that on the outer level, you cannot take action and change the situation. You don't need to accept an undesirable or unpleasant situation, nor do you need to deceive yourself and say that there is nothing wrong with being stuck. Surrender is perfectly compatible with taking action, initiating change or achieving goals. But in the surrendered state, a totally different energy, a different quality flows into your doing. Surrender reconnects you with the source energy of being. And if your doing is infused with being, it becomes a joyful celebration of life energy that takes you more deeply into the now. In that state of surrender, you see very clearly what needs to be done. And you take action, doing one thing at a time and focusing on one thing at a time. Make sure you don't start to run mental movies project yourself into the future, and so lose the now. From mind energy to spiritual energy. Start by acknowledging that there is resistance, but be there when it happens, when the resistance arises. Observe how your mind creates it, how it labels the situation, yourself and others. Look at the thought process involved. Feel the energy of the emotion. By witnessing the resistance, you will see that it serves no purpose. By focusing all your attention on the now, the unconscious resistance is made conscious and that is the end of it. Can I be conscious of my unhappy feelings? Would you choose unhappiness? If you did not choose it, how did it arise? What is its purpose? Who is keeping it alive? If you say you are conscious of your unhappy feelings, it is that you are identified with them and keep the process alive through compulsive thinking. All that is unconscious. If you are conscious, present in the now, all negativity would disappear almost instantly. Jesus referred to this energy when he made his prophetic statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the gentle, they shall have the earth for their possession. It is a silent but intense presence that dissolves the unconscious patterns of the mind. Surrender in personal relationships. It is true that only an unconscious person will try to use or manipulate others. But it is equally true that only an unconscious person can be used and manipulated. If you resist or fight unconscious behavior in others, you become unconscious yourself. Surrender does not mean that you allow yourself to be used. Let your response be a non-reactive no, free of all negativity. 
If you cannot surrender, take action immediately. Speak up or do something to bring about a change in the situation. Or remove yourself from it. If you cannot take action, for example, if you're in prison, then you have two choices left. Resistance or surrender. Suffering or inner peace. Let me illustrate how surrender can work in relationships. When you become involved in an argument or some conflict situation, perhaps with a partner or someone close to you, start by observing how defensive you become as your position is attacked or feel the force of your own aggression as you attack the other person's position. Observe the attachment to your views and opinions. Feel the mental, emotional energy behind your need to be right and make the other person wrong. That's the energy of the egoic mind. The ego is cunning. So you have to be alert, very present and totally honest with yourself to see whether you have truly relinquished your identification with a mental position and so freed yourself from your mind. If you suddenly feel light, clear and at peace, that is an unmistakable sign that you have truly surrendered. When identification with mental positions is out of the way, true communications begins. Non-resistance doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing. All it means is that any doing becomes non-reactive. Remember the deep wisdom underlying the practice of Eastern martial arts. Don't resist the opponent's force. Yield to overcome. In Taoism, there is a term called Wu Wei, which is usually translated as actionless activity or sitting quietly doing nothing. Resistance is weakness and fear masquerading as strength. The power to choose. It is misleading to say that somebody choose, chose a dysfunctional relationship. Choice implies consciousness, a high degree of it. Without it, you have no choice. Choice begins the moment you disidentify from the mind and its conditioned patterns, the moment you become present. Until you reach that point, you are unconscious, spiritually speaking. That is why Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is not related to intelligence in the conventional sense of the word. The personal in a dysfunctional relationship is stuck because her mind conditions at it, conditioned as it is by the past always seeks to recreate what is known and is familiar with. Even if it is painful, at least it is familiar. The mind always adheres to the known. The unknown is dangerous because it, it has no control over it. That's why the mind dislikes and ignores the present moment. Nobody chooses dysfunction, conflict and pain. Nobody chooses insanity. They happen because there is not enough presence in you to dissolve the past. You have not quite woken up yet. When you surrender to what is and so become fully present, the past ceases to have any power. You do not need it anymore. Presence is the key. The now is the key. 
A note to retiring rebels. Surrender is the simple but profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life. The only place where you can experience the flow of life is the now. So to surrender is to accept the present moment unconditionally and without reservation. The end.